The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review so that when people are searching for podcasts about addiction, they find us. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up on our videos. And if you would like to be notified when we have new videos up, ring the bell. If you have a story you would like to share with us, you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. Today's episode is episode number 293. And today we have an interview with a gentleman named Ed Turnan. Ed is a husband, father, and businessman. In May 2020, he lost his son, 22 year old Charlie, who was poisoned by a counterfeit prescription pill. Since that time, Ed and his wife, Mary, have dedicated themselves to informing young people about the new risks of self-medication and recreational drug use in the age of synthetic drugs like fentanyl. This is actually a very scary story, but one that you need to hear. So without further ado, let's talk to Ed Turnan. Ed Turnan, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us on the podcast today and share your story and Charlie's story. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us your background, kind of just in, I mean, a lot of, most of this focuses more on Charlie and what happened with him, but tell us about your background, you know, where, what your work history is like, where you live, that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, well, um, my wife, Mary and I live in Southern California. Uh, we've been married 35 years this, uh, this summer. Um, and Charlie was our youngest. So Charlie has an older brother and an older sister. Um, my background is that I've always been a, a marketing guy, kind of marketing and communications, uh, involved in product development, like new product development or new program development. I've worked in different industries that uh, are strangely, strangely relevant to what I'm doing now. Uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, I actually worked in uh, for a building products manufacturer and that that produced cement products. So I was involved in dry powder mixing and blending and, and formulating, uh, which is kind of weirdly relevant to what's going on with the, the fentanyl issue that I deal with now. Um, I also spent time in the internet business back in the early days. Um, and so I've been, uh, I bounced around a few different industries and ended up being like a financial advisor uh, for the last uh, 15 or 18 years. Um, my wife, Mary, is a gerontologist. So she uh, uh, has a master's in gerontology out of USC. And her career had been in taking care of seniors. And she uh, worked for our local Catholic parish for 30 years uh, doing that. Um, and just before Charlie died, we had started a business to combine my marketing background and Mary's area of focus. Uh, and we started a consulting firm that we called Silverwise, which helped baby boomers figure out what to do with mom and dad as they got older. Hmm. Um, and, and that's, we kind of, that we had to shelve that after COVID hit and then Charlie passed away shortly thereafter. And we went on our, kind of were set off on our new course. Understood. So tell us about Charlie, what, what, what he was like when he was younger and, as much as you know about 
how he was introduced to drugs. Yeah. So Charlie uh, was really a great guy. And um, as I said, our youngest of three, uh, he ended up being a real big guy, uh, six foot two and about 230 some odd pounds um, in his early 20s. Um, he was really smart, uh, pretty good athlete, um, and just had a lot of friends. And I think maybe, you know, it's not uncommon for some who are the youngest in the family. He was uh, maybe the quietest, had kind of a quiet sense of humor, a quiet, uh, strong but quiet presence. He was really kind of a peacekeeper and a no drama kind of guy, you know, uh, very like laid back and really didn't like any kind of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, his friends all say he was kind of like the glue, you know, he brought people together, you know, was very empathetic. Um, really, really good at math and was studying economics uh, in college at the time of his death. Um, so what happened to Charlie is that, um, you know, he died after taking what he was told was a Percocet. And it turned out to be what we've nicknamed a fentapil, which is a counterfeit prescription pill that's made with fentanyl. Um, and that happened in, on May 14th of 2020. Um, the story there is that it was early COVID and Charlie had come home for spring break from school. Uh, he was a senior in college in Northern California. And you, re- you remember what happened. Kids came home from spring break and then all the schools said, don't come back. And the world shut down on like March 11th. Right. right. So we were here with him for a couple of months and we didn't see any signs of any problems, any substance use or substance abuse. Uh, it was weird times uh, because of the COVID lockdown. So he could only see a few of his old high school friends once in a while. Um, and he was looking for a job, doing some online classes and job interviews on the phone and stuff like that. Um, but that's what was so strange. And, and what we have in common with other families we've been in contact with now whose kids have died from these counterfeit pills is very often there, there are no warning signs because it's not the traditional trajectory we've come to know with, you know, kind of addiction and you start out experimenting and then somewhere down the line, you develop a dependence and possibly overdose. Um, So um, to finish the sad story, Charlie um, and his friends decided with about a month left in the school year that they were just going to go back up and be together even though the administration was still, the school was, campus was still technically locked down. Um, He drove up from Southern California to Northern California. He was always complaining about his back. And um, he, we know that he was complaining to his friends when he got up to Northern California, that his back was hurting from the drive. Um, Now, I don't want to have rose-colored glasses here. Again, Charlie was the youngest of, of, of three. Um, we talk very openly in our family about drugs and alcohol. I'm in recovery myself. I'll be seven years this month. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, so we all had our eyes wide open and, you know, Charlie was down to party, right? He's a, he's a fraternity brother in college. Um, so what we believe, what, what we've learned happened is that about a week after he went back to school, um, he had a job interview. And so when his friends came by and said, we're all going to go out in the sun and do Frisbee golf or hang out, whatever they, they do, um, he couldn't go. 
And sometime that day, he and a friend found a, a drug dealer on Snapchat to get uh, to get some Xanax because the idea was, uh, Charlie said, he was going to hang out, play video games and wait for this phone call that he had to make at five o'clock. Okay. And um, so Charlie made a, uh, an impulsive decision when he saw the drug dealer's menu on Snapchat. He said to his friend, I'll get one of those perks, too. He's got those. My back's hurting. And um, so Charlie's friends came back to the house. They said hi to him in his room. He was doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's playing video games about three o'clock in the afternoon. He waved to him. He's in his bed. I still can't hang with you guys, man. I, I got this call. I'm doing fine playing this video game. And um, then we learned that he never made the five o'clock phone call. So sometime after three o'clock, but before five o'clock, he put that blue M30 that he thought was a Percocet in his mouth. They found the Xanax in his room afterwards. He didn't take any Xanax. Mm. That turned out to be counterfeit also. Um, and so sometime between three and five o'clock on May 14th, 2020, Charlie died in his bed at his fraternity with his game controller in his hand from a counterfeit pill that he thought was a legitimate medication. And his fraternity brothers found him by the time they went back and checked on him again, it was close to eight o'clock at night and he was long gone. So that's what happened. I am so very sorry. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank it's you. really why we do this podcast because we don't want parents to have to go through that. And I'm just, I'm super sorry that you had to go through this. Dan Carity, if I'm being honest, is the new powerful podcast to listen to. Dan is a globe-trotting television personality, a choreographer to stars like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, a loving husband and father, and a man struggling with addiction and anxiety. On his podcast, he shares ugly truths from his life in front of and away from the camera, and those of his courageous guests as well. From the world of entertainment, sports, media, and medicine, such as NFL player Ryan Leaf, pioneer DJ Don Diablo, actor and comedian Jamie Kennedy, and many more. So check out his new podcast, Dan Carity, If I'm Being Honest, on Spotify, Apple, and Google, or go to his website, www.dancarity.com. That's www.dancarity.com. Okay. So what happened after that? You guys had to research to even find out what had happened to Charlie, right? Yeah, it was very shocking because the way Mary and I were notified was that we got a knock on, on the door that Thursday night. And, um, the parents of one of Charlie's best friends who was up at school with them and our pastor who married had worked with at the parish for the last 30 years and a dear family friend were at the front door and they said, we got to come in and talk to you. And they said, there's been an accident, an incident up at Santa Clara and Charlie's died. He's dead. <sighs> and we said, well, what, what, and I'm thinking car accident or some kind of mishap, right? Like what could have happened? Yep. And they said, well, the kids in the fraternity house are saying they think it's pills. And that threw us off because we didn't, Charlie didn't, as far as we know, have a pill habit or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I think we kind of knew that Xanax is kind of on the list of rec recreational drugs for this generation of kids. If they want to chill out and watch a movie or hang, kind of like we used to smoke a joint back in the day. It's mm -hmm. just pretty common. Um, so 
we we knew that that might be a thing, but our thought was, well, how many Xanax did Charlie have to take to die? I mean, he's a big guy. So we're really fortunate in that the very next morning, we got a phone call from uh, an investigating detective from the local sheriff's department. And he said, listen, you're going to have to wait for the official toxicology report. But I can tell you right now, this is going to turn out to be fentanyl. And Charlie is the seventh death from fentanyl from these blue M30s in the past 10 days in our county. And so, of course, we describe this sometimes as the WTF moment. Like, what's this fentanyl you just told me about? Right. And what's this MP30 and how can you get it? And yeah. So we started Googling and um, we this sent us down our path pretty early because what we discovered right away uh, was that Charlie was not the only one who had died from this problem. Right. That there were counterfeit pills out there made to look just like Oxy's, Perks, and Xanax. That other kids were dying from this in Charlie's local area and we soon found out all across California and all across the country. And... What struck us was the authorities knew about it and they were worried about it. So there were bulletins on the, uh, the the local DEA regional website and the medical examiner's website. There were news stories about a 16-year-old girl who had died in Charlie's area that was in the newspaper and on local news broadcast. Uh, there was a, a student at Stanford University near where Charlie went who died six months prior to Charlie. And we find this all online. Wow. And what what struck us was that here's a problem. Kids are dying. Some people know about this, but the kids don't know. Right. And the information that's out there is not where the kids get their information. Right. Right. So this could have been on the front page of the local newspaper in the town where Charlie died for six months. And he would still not know about it because he doesn't read the newspaper. Yeah, kids aren't going to read the newspaper. That's, that's not right. where they. That's not where they hang out. That's not where they get their news, if you will. And it's really they. They're online all the time, and that's where they do all their social interactions, their social transactions, arrange their meetups, buy their drugs. All of it happens online. Today. You know the fact that he got it on Snapchat, right? That's where he bought it. I, mm. That that is. That is so scary. How did you find out that that's where he got it? How did that happen? Again, another lucky break in that the transaction was done um, on his friend's phone and not on his. Ah. So his friend very courageously stepped forward, gave a statement to the police, gave the police his phone, and they were able to start to track the conversation that happened. So we're very lucky if a lot of parents find the situation where their, their kid dies and they don't know the password to their kid's cell phone, um, and, you know, and, and you can't get into the phone. And then, of course, if you do get into the phone, you don't know the password to the different social media apps they have on there. So you can't get in there. Right. So it can be very difficult. So we got lucky uh, that this young man was was willing to come up and help us with the investigation. And Charlie was 22. So, mm. I mean, he was, you know, he was an adult. But just right. a, but I think just a comment here for parents: if you have a child that's a teenager that's um, under age, you know you have every right to have a password to everything that your child does. I was telling Steve before we spoke Ed, that I have a friend who told me like three years ago that she was all over her daughter's Snapchat, not because of drugs, but just because of some of the really 
bad content that was on there, you know? Mm. Yeah. And um, it's really important for parents to be involved in their kids' online life. So when we were growing up, you know, you knew who your kids' friends were and you had to tell your mom and dad where you were going when you left the house. And if they found out you told them you were going to Billy's, but you actually went to Susie's, you were in trouble. Yep. Yep. So um, parents have to be just as involved today and it's trickier, but I can tell you something that's timely um, and we can get into it. We've been working with Snapchat since about February, March of 2021. I saw that. One of the things they've just done is they've launched a family center, they call it, which allows parents to connect with their kids' account on Snapchat. Hmm. So uh, parents have been calling for like parent monitoring. Mm -hmm. And there is that. There are are third-party apps that will allow you to theoretically get some insight into what your kids are doing on the different social media apps. Um, What... Snap, Snapchat's parent company, did, I think is very creative. They put together a a program where a parent goes and and creates a a user account on Snapchat, and then they invite their kid to join this family center portal. So what that does, and their whole theory around this was, let's make this as real life as we can. How do parents and kids really interact in real life? Well, If the kid comes and says, I will not opt in to let you see what I'm doing on Snapchat. Well, hello. That's the reason to have a conversation, isn't it? That's a big red flag. That's a big red flag. And once the kid does opt in, the parent can see, again, reflecting real life, who the kid is talking to and see their friend list, but they don't see the conversations. So the kid still gets a measure of privacy. But the parent gets pinged when there's a new friend added and they can go, no, wait a minute. I don't think I know this person, Johnny. Who is this person? Tell me about this friend. So it's an it's an interesting solution to try to get parents and kids more connected on that one app. I think it's huge. And I Mm. think that parents have to you you have to be so much more careful today than you did when we were young. Even when my boys were young, they didn't, Mm. they weren't doing that. They weren't, you know, there was no Snapchat. I think whatever became before Facebook, they may have done some of that, but yeah, you have to be way, way more diligent, I think, as a parent today than Mm. ever before. That's right. And, and we have to have uh, we have to change the way we talk to our kids about drugs. Yep. And that's really a big part of what Song for Charlie stands for. Um, the The drug landscape has changed so radically. And in just a few years, Charlie's older brother and sister, who are 28 and 32, would say to you, like, pills were not everywhere when I was in college or high school. It's, right. it's this generation that was born, Charlie's 1997. So... This generation born in the very late 90s, early 2000s, who are very accustomed to prescription pills because they're, a lot of their friends were taking Ritalin or Adderall or Xanax or whatever for learning differences. And they get their wisdom teeth up and they get Oxy. Right. They they share them. They see people sharing them on TV. Yep. You know, there's jokes about, oh, I had a tough day. Does anybody have a Xanax in their purse? Right. I mean, it's very normalized. Right. And... The scary thing is that the drug traffickers have figured out 
that there's a demand for these prescription pills and that the best way for them to profit from them, since the legit prescription pills are so hard to get, we crack down on diversion of real prescription pills right. from the white market to the black market. Right. Well, well, how do we make even more money and meet this demand? Well, we produce counterfeits and we'll use the most potent synthetic we can find, which we is make fake. fake pills. We, fake, we 100% fake. We may make them look just exactly like the, the real ones, but they're fake and we can right. use fentanyl because it's cheaper. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. It's so much cheaper. And what that changes, the, the dynamic of the business model of the drug dealer. When I was growing up, what would happen was way back in the supply chain, the plant-based substance like cocaine, for instance, that was used as the raw material in the street drug was 100% pure at some point mm -hmm. back there. Mm -hmm. And as it got closer to the retail market, it became cut back and less pure. Right. Now the model is, let's find the most potent synthetic we can, fentanyl, and there are others coming behind fentanyl in the pipeline. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. And and that's what they did. And it goes back to my days manufacturing cement products for construction. Let's yep. maximize our batch yield mm -hmm. so that a little bit of our active ingredient goes as far as we can stretch it. So now when you're trying to manage dosage in a, a dozen grains of salt in a 120 milligram pill across 5000 pills, you're not going to get that dosage right. That's right. It's not going to happen. I mean, it, that right. takes a very sophisticated, clean room manufacturing environment at a pharmaceutical plant. And that's not where these pills are being pressed. And the drug dealers don't care. No. They flat and out do not care if someone overdoses. We, we get the question all the time, if fentanyl is so strong, why would drug dealers use it? Because they're killing their customers. And the way I think about that is, number one, most of their customers don't die. Right. Three things can happen. You get a dud, you get high, or you die. Right. Um, if you get high, you're going to want another one. It's highly addictive. Um, and so what they're doing is playing a numbers game. Um, they will eventually, the scary thing is, they may eventually get the dosage right with these fentapils. But in the meantime, 
they're using the American drug consumer as their lab rats. They're trying to figure out, and with the, all these other synthetics that are out there, Joni, yep. they're basically, it's chemical soup. Yep. So Philadelphia, you've got the heroin supply contaminated with three or four different fentanyl analogs, some xylazine, maybe some benzo, right? It's not heroin. It's not even heroin anymore, right? right? And they'll tweak it here and tweak it there to give it legs or give it a little more punch. And if some people die, they go, oh, well, we learned a lesson there. We better back off on this. You know, they're using the, the drug consumer as their lab rat. They really don't care on an individual level if some people die. Absolutely not. And I remember when I used to have a co-host on the podcast who was a former addict. And I said to him, if you're a drug addict and you know that this particular dealer is dealing drugs that potentially could have fentanyl and could kill you, wouldn't you wouldn't you go to different drug dealers? And he said, oh, no, you go to the ones where you think you can get a better high. And mm. I remember going, oh, whoa, you know, but that's yeah. part that's part of the whole what happens with drug addiction. And I realize that's a, a different ball game than where Charlie was at, but it's relevant. It, it is. And, and one of the things that we try to do is we think we, we, like I said, we have to change the way we talk to kids. Yeah. I think we have to reimagine the drug conversation in America in general yep. because of the, the two things that are happening. I think there's two forces that are converging. One is, well, it's essentially fentanyl and fakery crossing. And so fentanyl represents this move from the farm to the lab. Fentanyl's the most noticeable one now. It actually started with LSD, designer drugs, ecstasy in the 80s, methamphetamine. Fentanyl is just the latest, and it's it's the one that's really killing people right now. Right. There are others behind it. Yep. So the mega trend is the move away from plant-based substances to lab-produced synthetic substances, chemicals, as the raw materials for street drugs. Yeah. That's scary enough. But then on top of that, what's happening is this new practice of drug sellers not being honest with their consumers about what they're selling them. Right. That's yeah, really and, different. Yeah, because, and, you know, when you talk about, like, these uh, chemically produced drugs, you can't regulate the chemicals that go into them. They might be a chemical that you use to clean your toilet. Do you know what I mean? It's just, there's yes. no way. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. And and um, it really changes the buyer-seller relationship. It changes the equation. Um, and we talk in terms of trust, mm -hmm. what we warn kids about now, because the just the stay away from drugs, don't do drugs, drugs are bad kids. That message really doesn't land. Nope. Right. But what you have to. So what we try to talk about is the deception that's happening yeah. and the 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 inability to trust. Even if the person you're getting this from is someone, you know, they've been lied to potentially. They yeah. don't know what's in the substance they're selling you. Yeah. So the trust has been broken in the, in the kind of supply chain in the drug in the street drug market. And I think if we can if parents and teachers and, and the American public can highlight that in the way we talk about drugs, I think there's a chance to open some open some eyes. I think you're right. How how are you um how are you getting this message to the kids? I understand that Snapchat has now set up this 
family portal, if you will. But are they doing anything in terms of like warning kids, you know, Mm. be careful who you connect with, be careful who it now becomes a friend of yours if you don't recognize them? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Snap is doing a bunch of things um, and they are kind of on the front lines of this. Um, We're very pleased with how they responded. We, like a lot of parents, initially looked at trying to sue them. Right. Uh, but there's really no legal basis for that. I mean, no. maybe the laws will change, but you can't do it now. And so then we reached out to them and we were able through some personal connections and our, our personal network to get in touch with the executives there and to really make them aware of the deception. Um, so all of these platforms, now they introduced us and through other uh, connections, we got to the other platforms. So we currently now work with not just Snapchat, but also TikTok, which is mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. all kids are all on TikTok. Yep. Um, Facebook and Instagram through the parent company Meta, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, and so all of these uh, platforms started with the position that we have rules against drug drunk uh, or drug dealing on our platform. We don't allow it. Okay. And what we said was, yeah, how do you know well, that? It, 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 right. And so it's, and, and again, it, what, it, what priority is that, right? With all the other issues that they have to deal with child sex trafficking and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they've got special interest groups, you know, screaming at them about everything. But we said, you guys, what you need to understand is the counterfeiting. The fact that those Percocets that you might see on your platform once in a while and think it's just a couple of kids swapping pills, they're not real Percocets. And they're potentially very deadly. And kids are dying by the hundreds of these uh, of these pills. When that light bulb went on, um, Snap stepped up in a big way. They introduced us to some of the other platforms. And so now we work with all of them. So to your question, how are we getting the word out? They give us ad credits. And they also consult with us on how to use their algorithm and how to target certain demographics. So, you know, we started our first social media awareness campaign, uh, starting with Snapchat, but then moved to the others in uh, July of 2021. And in the first year, we averaged a million, uh, reaching a million unique viewers a week, 52 million people in the first year. And we use the ad credits and the algorithms to target our messages to kids and parents. So it's the, it's it's 52 million of the right of the people who need to get the news, right? right. So it's been a very successful uh, partnership. One of the things that Snap did was they created a portal so that if a kid does a search, say for perk on Snapchat, what comes up is what's called interstitial search. I've I've learned something from being in the tech business. Um, (laughs) It interrupts the search, and this portal comes up called Heads Up. And in that, um, Song for Charlie is a contributor. uh, Shatterproof, the CDC, um, are are contributors to this portal that essentially says, oh, hey, you should know this about drugs. Um, And it, it diverts the kid from their search. Now, our area within that portal in that same time frame has been seen by a half a million Snapchat users. Wow. So, I mean, we're, we we think we're in the right place where the kids are to try and get this message out. There's the enforcement of kicking these dealers off the platform. And, and these, these platforms are, they're all doing 
more there. And that's really challenging. Content moderation is challenging. Um, But they've really stepped up their game. Um, But in terms of the awareness, we're really pleased that we're getting the right message to the right people right now. I think I think that's brilliant. And I think I know that you've saved lives. You may never know how many that you save, but I know that you are because, you know, there's I always have believed that if if kids are given the true information about drugs or about counterfeit drugs, I I really feel that the majority of them will make the right decision. Mm. And you know, and I think so. I think that you guys doing what you're doing, I, I I really think that you're saving lives in a big way. I'm I cannot applaud you enough. Well, thank for doing you. What you're we sure doing. hope so. It keeps us going. That idea keeps us going. And in this world, we make some progress. We put out another TikTok, and it gets. You know, we did one recently that got you know 250 thousand likes, and we get all excited. And then the next week, another 15-year-old kid dies somewhere. And we are reminded that we have more work to do. And, you know, you know, there's 47 million Americans uh, of high school, middle school, high school, and college age, whether they're enrolled in college or not, say between the ages of like 14 and 23, 47, 48 million. That's a lot of eyeballs we got to get in front of. Yeah. And, you know, they say people don't learn things till they hear it repeatedly. So, the and 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 there's a lot of other parent groups that are like ours who are yeah. doing similar things, which is awesome because we have to hit this from every angle we can, and people need to bump into it everywhere they turn. Yep. That these counterfeit pills are just all over the place, and they're super dangerous. Yep, and this is I've said this many many times. This whole addiction pandemic and the the pandemic of people dying because of these counterfeit pills or overdoses. It's not going to get solved with just us doing our podcast and just you. It's going to take everybody really becoming aware of it. And the other thing I always tell my listeners is if you think it doesn't affect you because you don't have a loved one that's addicted or you haven't been addicted yourself, you have your head in the sand. And as long as people are dying from these counterfeit pills and dying from overdoses, it's your problem, just like it's mine. That's right. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad what it takes sometimes to get the nation's attention. Yep. Um, but I, I, I do wonder if there's an opening here for us to, as I said earlier, change the way we talk about drugs in America. I think because I think this counterfeiting is so despicable that everyone relates to it. When we, when we tell the story properly and we say, listen, let me tell you what's happening. Drug traffickers are working as hard as they can to produce pills that look look like the pharmaceutical tablets that they grew up with in their mom's medicine cabinet, yep. that they think are safe, that they're yep. familiar with, that they're used to. Yep. They're trying to make them as real as they can, and then they target these kids with advertisements on social media to try and sell them to them. But they're really made with a super potent, potentially deadly opioid. Yep. People's jaws just drop. And and sometimes I wonder if the drug traffickers haven't finally overplayed their hand and that if we can wake the nation up to, like you said earlier, Joni, you know, when it comes to it, they really do not care about us. No, right? not at all. That maybe we can start to think about some of the changes, uh, you know, that we need to make. Yep. I mean, it, uh, they did not care about Charlie. 
they do not care about the other kids that are dying from these counterfeit pills. They'll just move on to the next kid. It's all about numbers. It's all about money. It's, it's horrific. Yes. But I I agree with that. And and when one of the things that when you talk about money, one of the ways I'd like to update the conversation that we have in America is I think it's time to retire the war on drugs rhetoric. I, I, I see this. It's really more of a business problem. Yep. Our adversaries in this problem are business people. Now, yep. they happen to be heavily armed business organizations. Oh, yeah. But they're in it for the money. Yep. And and so um, I think we need to, like, bring down the rhetoric a little bit. Stop talking. You know, a war assumes total victory. If you're going to wage war, you have to win and vanquish your enemy. Yep. I think we have to admit that we're not going to eliminate drugs in America. Right have to figure out how we're going to reduce drug deaths. Yeah. Just a very simple three-word goal. How do we reduce drug deaths? And in this in this space, the three main stakeholder groups who talk about drugs in America in supply reduction, demand reduction, and harm reduction, people of good faith in all of those groups, yeah. whether they believe in just say no, lock them all up, or safe supply, they all are driven by that one simple goal. How do we keep people from dying from drugs. Right. So if we can find common ground in those in among those people and think about this as a business problem that needs to be solved, sitting in a conference room with a white table and brainstorming new approaches instead of saying, let's double down on what we've all been doing for the last 50 years. Which hasn't worked. None of it's worked, right? I mean, the nope. numbers speak for themselves, Joni. Yep. You and I aren't making that up. The yep. numbers speak for themselves. So how do we reimagine our whole approach to the drug situation. Yep. I, I, I completely agree. So Ed, how can people find song for Charlie or reach out or help or give, give up, give our listeners something they can do. They should be doing something. Excellent. Our, our website is songforcharlie.org. And um, on the website, we have resources that, that people can use our, um, kind of like three-tiered strategy from the very beginning with reaching young people directly was to go where they are, which is school and social media and at home and the kitchen table, right? Speak their language, which these days is short video and get them talking to each other because kids want to learn from kids. So there are resources for parents who want to go to their local school board, for teachers who want to develop in-class curricula, for their social media posts. We have a very big social media footprint. People can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you know, all over and and just spread the word. Whether yep. you want to have a town hall meeting yourself or whether you just want to tell all every young person in your life, cousins, ne- nephews, nieces, brothers and sisters, that helps. Just yep. getting making young people aware of these counterfeit pills we think is going to make a big difference. I think it's huge. Ed, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you're doing. I am as sorry as I can be the reason why you got into this area and feel that you have to do this. But the fact that you're doing it is huge. And we need about a million more of you doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And there are uh, there are many, many parents like Mary and I who are doing very similar things, who have picked themselves up and despite their grief, 
are doing just what you described. They're saying to themselves, I want to do everything I can to make sure another family doesn't have to experience this. Exactly. And then that's what's going to make the change. The, yep. the change that's going to happen in this country is happening from the bottom up grassroots by bereaved parents. It's it's very inspirational. It keeps us going every day. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. As I said to Ed, I am so sorry about the loss of his son, but I am so grateful for everything that he is doing to use the proper channels, the same channels that the drug dealers are using to sell these counterfeit pills. He's come up with a bright idea to use those same channels to get to the kids and warn them that these counterfeit pills exist and that these counterfeit pills can kill them. Um, it's huge. You need to help if you can. The website is songforcharlie.org and reach out to them, find out how you can help. And we will be back again with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.